Talking God with Uncle Luke. From heaven or man? <laughs> That's the question. Come on in. Let's check it out together. Luke chapter 19, verse 45 to 20, verse 8. All the bubbles of the world. We got one mission in mind. Welcome to the Biblical Channel. Always glad somebody's showing up because, man, we just like talking God. And talking God is where the action is. Talking God brings the chamois of humanity out to its best possible form. That's right. Christianity has indeed been wringing the best out of uh, uh, Christ out of humanity for, you know, 2,000 years plus. Anyhow, at the Biblical Channel, we're just a bunch of bubbas. Uh, there's nothing special about us. If a guy like me can read the Bible right, then you can read the Bible right. And so I'm just here to help you read the Bible right and have a little fun and get how the thing moves and talks so that you could move and talk in, in step with God, man. Read your Bible, say your prayers, get together and talk God. That's all we want people to be able to do. We want to move people from the bullshit to the holy shit and so they can shoot the shit. So anywho, we just want everybody to... to Think about God like Mary thinks about God, and that is that her soul would magnify the Lord, that our spirit would rejoice in God, our Savior. Without any further ado, let's dive in to our text um, and, and see what God has to say uh, to all of us. It starts with uh, Luke chapter 19 and uh, ends into Luke chapter 20. And here's what here's how here's how it goes. Let's just look at that first, and then we got a lot to unpack here, and we'll get it done really quickly. So, uh, Jesus enters the temple. The long-awaited time when Jesus enters into Jerusalem and into the temple. This is that moment. So Jesus enters the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, "My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers." And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. Oh, huh, why? Who cares? Well, they do. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Jesus, popular guy. On uh, one day, Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. The chief priests and the scribes with their elders, came up to Jesus and they said, tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or what or who has given you this authority? And he answered them, I will ask a question to your question. Now, tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another and they said, oh my gosh, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't we believe him then? And if we say from man, then all the people are going to stone us because they love this guy. For they are convinced that John was a prophet and they like what Jesus has to say. Anyhow, I'm going a little bit beyond the text, but that's that's what's going on here. And so um, they answered that they didn't know where it came from. So that's their answer. I don't know where it came from. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. There's our scene. And... It seems kind of like just a flat line story, but but it's packed with punches and it's packed with meaning and it's packed with good stuff. So that's what we're here for. Let What's all the good stuff that's going on in this text? Well, anytime you read the Bible, um, you do have to be aware that, you know, Uncle Luke, first of all, is telling us a story. And so the story that he is telling 
is part of the story that he's telling right now. So, you know, previously, Uncle Luke, in telling us the story, remind, you know, told us that Jesus, you know, gathered, you know, people together, his disciples in particular, and he told them a story, told them a parable that was to help them with understanding that when he was coming to Jerusalem, the kingdom of God was not coming immediately. And so he told him the story about a nobleman who is the real king, even though that nobleman is going away to get his kingdom secured, um, that while he's away doesn't mean he's not king. He is king, which means that, well, you need to do the king's business while he is away. So Jesus has already signaled that he is going away, but the reason why he's going away is to get his kingdom. Now, he's also said that he's going to die and rise again. This is all part of the going away mo uh, you know, motif or explanation. So that's in the backdrop that Uncle Luke has been telling us so far. When we get to this you know, moment, you know, Jesus enters into the temple, we have to have that in the back of our mind. But then Jesus' words. Uncle Luke tells us what Jesus you know, said and did. He goes into the temple and he drives out those who sold and he said these words, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers, which means that there's another part of the story that we have to get familiar with or understand to understand deeply what Jesus is talking about. Now, before we get all offended and say, well, I ain't got time to read the Old Testament. Well, that's what we're here for. We're here to help you kind of along and you can go back and do it as much as you want. But there's, there's, there's some pretty cool stuff that, you know, Jesus is referring to um, that we need to be aware of. First of all, the Bible works in a way that no other document on, on earth works. It's a story. It's a history. It's a history and a story of God and how God is shaping together a story with human beings, mind you, that will tell the story of himself and us as well. So there is nothing like the Bible. Nobody else's scriptures, no religion's scriptures work this way. Only the Bible kind of works in this way where God starts out in the beginning with information and keeps adding to the story and adding to the story and adding to the story. And, and there's real people involved throughout this history that keep adding to the story, whether they think they are or not is, is hardly the point. God is the one who is shaping up his story. That's why there is nothing like this. You know, the, um, you know, the, the, the Hindus scriptures, the, you know, uh, Islam scriptures, nobody's scriptures work like this. Only the Bible works like this. And the Bible is truly phenomenal because of this. There is nothing like a story through history that's working its way towards an ending. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is working out the story of God's ending. He is working out the biblical ending. So everything in what we call the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is now coming to its climactical moment in Christ, which is anticlimactical in so many ways because Christ has said that he's going to die and he's going to rise and he's going to go away. Um, and he told us, though, that the reason why he's going away is to bring the kingdom of God back. Okay, and that has been an idea that is not entirely new, that the kingdom of God needs to be completely secured by God on earth, that it's not here yet. And uh, that information comes through the pages of what we call the Old Testament. So, so Jesus, you know, Uncle Luke tells the story in such a way that, that Jesus clued the audience in by what he did and what he said to how the story before him 
in the old part of the Bible had brought these, you know, events to them and his words to them. And so, you know, when Jesus enters the temple, you know, as, as you know, kind of his big thing, um, that reminds us of Malachi, who was a prophet at the very, you know, toward the end of Israel's old history, you know, the Old Testament, there's a prophet Malachi who had said, be, you know, from God that, behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into the temple. Guess what? Jesus thinks he's God. Jesus thinks he's the Lord that has been sent from on high. Okay, you know, that's that's who he thinks he is. You've got to decide whether Jesus is from heaven or whether he's from man, which is what makes this passage awesome. Jesus brings the essential question right to our front door, and that is, is he from heaven or is he from man? That's that's really what it comes down to. Do you believe that Jesus is from heaven or do you believe that Jesus is from man? If you believe that he's in heaven, you better start believing everything that he said. If you believe he's just for a man, well, then I suppose eat, drink, be, be merry for tomorrow we die or find something you know better to do or something better to believe in. But this is how the stage has been set. And Jesus has set the stage according to the way that God had spoken in the past. So he has entered this last moment, you know, in Jerusalem, in the temple, choreographed based on what the previous messengers of God had said, the messenger of the covenant, says Malachi, from God, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So anybody who has a clue in Israel about the Old Testament knows that God has made a promise that he is going to send his messenger. He is going to send his presence. He is going to come to Israel. Everybody knows this. And so the question is, is Jesus that guy or not? That's always the question, you know, around Jesus. Are you the guy or not? And and so that's the question around Jesus in the temple that comes to him from the fun suckers, from the temple authorities, you know, from the, you know, leading religious class, and also from the, the higher ups. This is the first time that Uncle Luke told us that not only was it the chief scribes or the chief priests and the scribes who came, but also the elders, the leaders of the community. Everybody is now concerned about Jesus since he has entered the temple, since he's entered Jerusalem. They know that this is serious stuff because the crowds are following him and they've got to work out whether or not he is from man or whether he is from heaven. Now, Jesus' point of view would be, well, why haven't you followed me for the last three years? If you followed me from the last three years, you would know what I've said. You've known what I've done, and you should be able to work out that I am from heaven. Okay, but Jesus doesn't, you know, um, I guess, you know, Jesus doesn't just sucker punch everybody. He just tells stories. He's very patient. He's very kind, which is a great lesson to us that we ought to follow the patience and the kindness um, that Jesus himself demonstrate because it is the patience of God. Okay, so so the stage is, is being set by Jesus from the pages of the old part of the Bible. When Jesus enters the temple, it's it's replicating, you know, or set, you know, up by the prophet Malachi hundreds of years before Jesus came. But this is an identifying mark that Jesus wants everybody to know and understand. And that's the way Uncle Luke is telling the story here. Okay, so he drives out those who sold and he says, 
My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Once again, the old part of the Bible, you know, has told us a story about the temple. The story of the temple is really quite interesting and fun because the story of the temple itself properly begins with David. And and we've already talked about David a little bit, but David, you know, was a warrior king. David was known for slaughtering, you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, yes, he was a man after God's own heart, but David actually sacked Jerusalem and made it the capital, you know, for Israel. And it's hard to work out whether he did that really from God's directive. I don't think he did. Uh, doesn't matter because God's going to use it, you know. So everything even we mean for evil, God uses for good. God's going to use it. But it's a story about the temple that really catches our eye. Because if we remember back, David sacks Jerusalem. He now has this wonderful palace for himself. And then all of a sudden he feels guilty. And he's like, oh, holy cow, I'm living in a better place than God. God lives in a tent. He lives in a tabernacle. He lives in the ark. Oh my gosh. Um, I better build God a temple. And, and God sends the prophet Nathan to say, not so fast, pal. Not so fast, pal. I was happy in my tabernacle. I don't want all of this temple stuff, but, but, but I will allow you to build a temple. I'll allow it. So you see, it's, if you go back and look at, 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 you know, you know, the, the, the first and second Samuel tells this story, uh, very, very clearly and, and very well. But this is all the backdrop to the story that the whole temple itself was never really the primary thing. It was just a thing. And it was more of David's thing. And so God said, you know what, David, I'm not going to let you build me a temple because you got blood in your hands. I'm going to put the temple building into your son's hand, Solomon. Solomon will build me a temple. He is the, the king of peace. He doesn't have blood on his hands. I'll allow him to build me a temple. And so, um, you know, that backdrop is very important. So what is this temple all about? Well, let's go to Solomon and find out. If you go to Solomon, 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, verse 41, Solomon, you know, says this as a prayer to all people, you know, and it's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41. Uh, but, but Solomon says in a prayer exactly what the temple is all about as he is dedicating the temple. He says, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name, and they will hear of your mighty hand and outstretched arm. And when he comes and prays towards this house, here in heaven, your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you and as and and you know as as your people of Israel already know and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name okay now so the temple the temple as defined by Solomon who is clearly speaking the word of god at this point is designed the temple's design is to be a teaching place so that people can actually know god it's a teaching place that, you know, first of all, teaches about the need for forgiveness. So, so here's another remarkable thing about the way that God works in the old part of the Bible and the new part of the Bible tells us, you know, exactly this. And that is God will take things that humans do and use them, repackage them, repurpose them and redefine them into his own way. So the world already, you know, does temples, but they don't do temples the way God does temple. And God has one temple and it's defined by a place of teaching. There is no 
other religion that has temples where it is defined by teaching the world who God is so that they might actually pray. So even the sacrificial system, you know, the sacrifice, you know, uh, that Israel laid was not like any of the world's sacrifices. The sacrificial system was designed to teach people the awareness of sin and the awareness of their need to get forgiveness from God. That's it. No other temples work this way. Um, but Israel's temple was supposed to work just this way. So forgiveness actually leads to relationship, and that relationship leads to prayer. So the sacrifice is all about for forgiveness and getting forgiveness from God. And when forgiveness from God is had, now it's time to have conversations with God because now you know God and you can ask of God things. And so this is what Solomon is talking about in his prayer. This is what the temple is supposed to be. Israel, though, has a huge problem on their hand, and that is they keep making the temple like other temples. This is the tension of the old part of the Bible. Israel keeps wanting to be like the other nations. They don't want to be the different nation that God called them to be. And so, once again, there are zero temples in history that work like Israel's temple. And, and temples, you know, in history, the other temples, they were more like Vegas. Uh, they were some sort of combination of a business place um, where big business can happen, and also entertainment can happen, marketplaces, all kinds of stuff, you know, happened in the world's temples. Uh, but it certainly wasn't a family place of teaching uh, where you came to, to be reminded of the need that we have to be forgiven and the need that we have to be in a relationship with God and the need we have to be, you know, to know God personally and to actually call on him and talk to him at, in a way that we know him. So this is the, the, you know, the tension when Jesus says, but you have made it a den of robbers. He is referring to the temple that Israel has been maintaining as a temple that always looks more like the nation's temples. It doesn't look like what God intended his temple to be. So that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, you've made my temple a den of robbers, which reminds us of the prophet Jeremiah's words in chapter 7, verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11 has this house, which has been called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Okay, so this is old news, but is now fresh news. Jesus is saying that the temple is in no better shape than when it was whenever God kicked them out of the promised land and, and allowed them to be defeated by their enemies. Israel has this problem. They are not in control. The enemies, the Gentiles, the rest of the world is in control. This has been Jesus' point throughout his ministry. You haven't learned the lessons of the past. I'm here to carry the forward, the story forward in the way that God wants it to go forward. And the whole purpose of God is that the nations would be coming to God to become like God rather than, you know, than God becoming whatever the nations want. You see, the temple was the place of teaching and knowledge, and that's what Jesus is on about. And that's why we're told that Jesus gets straight to the business of teaching in the temple. And this just annoys everybody. Um, and, and down in Luke chapter 20, verse 1, Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. Now, I want to draw attention to the fact that teaching and preaching, biblically speaking, I cannot find a difference. You know, I've, 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 
I was a pastor in a church for 20 years, and there were, uh, you know, the Christian community, my brothers and sisters, whom I love, you know, can be a little, you know, critical at times, we'll say. And 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 one of the things that, you know, some backhanded, you know, complimenting people would say to me is, is you know, your, 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 your preaching is more like a Bible study. And, and I never, you know, I thought, ah, yeah, okay, I'll accept that. I was never offended by that because I don't, I don't see a biblical difference between teaching and preaching. Oh, maybe you can work out the difference, but I think they're synonymous. I think they're getting to the, the heart and soul of the same matter, and that is to know God and his great name and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm so that your prayers might be heard, so that you would be in relationship with God, so that you might understand the great need for forgiveness like God has been saying all along. So this is the the scene. This is the tension. This is the setting. Israel has had a history, and Jesus has been telling them this all along in previous you know, parts that Uncle Luke has told us. You know, Israel, you know, has had a bad habit, tears for fears, we might call it, because Jesus has been crying about, you know, the way that Jerusalem behaves, the way that the is Israel as a nation has behaved, and that is that they've been out of step with God. And it's most likely, just like in the past, that they're going to kill him, uh, just like they killed the prophets of the past. Jesus has brought this up, that, you know, Israel has a history of killing the very messengers that God keeps sending them. That's not a good scene to be in. Jesus, however, um, is in control of the scene, and he's in control of God's story, and that's the back drop of what's going on. The religious leaders, as you know, we have already known, are against Jesus. They are, you know, part of the indignant, the ignorant, and the belligerent crowd. As indignant, you know, they they think they know better. As ignorant, they, you know, really don't know anything. And as the belligerent, they think they know everything. And so they are totally offended that Jesus has not asked their permission or that they have been excluded in wrapping up or, you know, continuing God's story. And Jesus is trying to tell them why. Because you're out of step with God, man. You don't understand much. And because you don't understand much, God is going to set you aside. You're welcome to come into Jesus at any point in time. You're welcome to come to Jesus. You are welcome. You know, there's no exclusivity going on here. They're inclusive, but God's not going to go along with their you know, portion of the story. Jesus is not going to go along with their portion of the story. He's going to go along with God's portion of the story because he is God. And he's going to set the record straight, and he's going to finish the story the way he wants to, which is by dying and rising again so that we can understand our chief problem, and that is death, and that there is more to this life and dying that we can look forward to. That's God's great plan and purpose so that we would actually know God, be forgiven, and pray and and think like God does. And he's inviting everybody. He's inviting everybody. Well, anyhow, that that brings us kind of to a big point from this passage. What what do we take away from a passage like this? Well, first of all, the religion of Jesus is not really a religion. In fact, Jesus is calling everybody to lose their religion so that they can have a genuine you were designed to have a genuine relationship with God personally, individually. Uh, that you don't need man to do that. You were called and designed to be directly in a relationship with God, but you got to be informed. You got to know what you're talking about. And God has given a whole storyline from, you know, 3,000 years ago to, or, you know, I'm sorry, 4,500 4, years ago to today that that is there to help you to understand who God really is 
so that you can live life as best you possibly can here and that you could have real hope beyond your death and 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 into eternal life. That is what God's up to. If you if you if you think he's bad because of that, well then that's on you. That's not on God. The only religion that has ever invited the whole entire world to come in and actually hopes that the whole entire world, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of nation status, regardless of skin color, the only one is who truly hopes that everybody joins in is Christianity, is the, the, the religion or the, you know, the, the ambition of God in the Bible alone. And, and also, it is important to notice that the Bible invites everybody across the world to come in on equal terms. Equality is God's idea, that we are all on equal footing. We are all sinners, and we all come to God with the same great need. And we are all welcomed by God with the same level of intensity. And he invites us to, to join up with him with the intensity of Zacchaeus in the previous, you know, uh, when we when we saw the story of Zacchaeus, you know that Uncle Luke was telling about when the 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 intensity of the blind beggar that Uncle Luke has talked about. Inclusive inclusivity is God's idea. That's the deal. But the real question that Jesus is setting before the religious turds or the religious fun suckers is, you know, from heaven or from man. Now he tells them, he says, I want you to tell me if, if John the Baptist was from heaven or from man. And they get the they they get it. They can't answer this thing. If they say that John the Baptist was from man, the, the crowd is going to turn against them because they already like Jesus. And John the Baptist had pointed out that Jesus is, well, who is Jesus? According to John the Baptist, Jesus is the one whom God was always preparing to send. And according to Jesus and John, he's God. And so Jesus is indirectly saying, get the story straight on John the Baptist, and you'll get the story straight on me. So it's really the chief question that we get, and that is, from heaven or from man? I always like to tell everybody, the, the, compared to what is, is the, the way forward? Compared to what? Whenever everybody's so critical, compared to what? I just want to know, compared to what? But this is probably the best question. And the best question is, do you know the difference of what's from heaven and what's from man? Do you know the authority of heaven and the authority of man? And can you tell the difference? That's the point that Jesus is driving us to as he enters the temple, as he is about ready to head to the cross, and he's about ready to be risen again, and he's about ready to ascend into heaven. Do you know the difference between what's from heaven and what's from man? Well, we, you know, that's that's where Jesus, you know, wants us all to be wrestling and to be thinking about. And this is the answer that Jesus has given. He is from heaven. The rest of the world is from man. The Bible is from heaven. Uh, the Bible is from heaven because it's God who makes a story out of humanity, whether humanity is willfully playing or not. Because only God can can keep working our evils into his own good, into a great and good storyline. And so Jesus says, you've got to answer the question of heaven or man. And once you understand the question of heaven or man, you'll understand the question of authority. And if you understand that, you'll understand that you're invited in. Come on in. The waters are fine. Quit, you know, following the fun suckers. Start following God.
There is nothing disappointing in the Bible whatsoever if you read it well. And that's been Jesus' point as well. One of the reasons why we get our nose out of joint is because we just don't read it well. I went from being a, a, a dummy who never reads to someone who can read the Bible and understand it well, and you can too. We all can. It, it's not that hard. Um, so come on in. That's the message of Jesus. Work out the difference between what's from heaven and what's from man. Catch you next time. Thank you.